Good morning and welcome to our Monday Chapel. Please note the prayer of the week on the top of our bulletin. Please join me. O God, so rule and govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that being ever mindful of the end of all things and the day of your last judgment, we may be stirred to holiness of living here and dwell with you forever hereafter through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. Due to the length of our reading this morning, you may be seated. 
It is recorded for us from the pen of St. Luke in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the 17th chapter, beginning with verse 22. And this is St. Paul's famous sermon at the Areopagus in Athens, Greece. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. The Night the Stars Fell. That is the name of a particular night that happened this very week in 1833. The Night the Stars Fell. It happened from 1 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was a meteor shower like has never been seen before, according to descriptions of it. They estimate, uh, astronomers estimate that 150,000 stars were falling or moving per hour that were visible here on Earth, mostly in the southern United States. It was an amazing astronomical phenomenon. And people wrote about it, and uh, some crazy things happened that night. It was apparently just the right conditions that evening in the southern states to see this uh, tremendous outburst of all of these stars flying around. Let me just read a little bit to you from some of the newspapers at the time. Okay? This is from a Georgia, Augusta, Georgia newspaper editor wrote this. The stars descended like snowfall to earth. We were awakened by a neighbor who had been aroused in a similar manner by one who supposed the world was coming to an end as the stars were falling. The whole heavens were lighted by falling meteors as thick and constant as the flakes which usher in a snowstorm. I can relate to that today. Stars fell like, another one says, stars fell like snowflakes and fireballs darted back and forth in the heavens. He writes, church members ran to their pastor's house. They stayed up all night singing hymns and praying as their pastor read the scriptures to them. Many confessed their most secret sins that remarkable night, truly fearing that the world was coming to an end. 
In Alabama, this is what was written. Many profane people, so living immorally, many profane people were frightened to their knees. Dust-covered Bibles were opened and dice and cards were thrown to the flames. <laughs> people got rid of their gambling stuff. You know, when we, when we witness a horrific event, um, something that defies explanation and is so phenomenal and, and terrifying in that way, even things like a hurricane or a tornado, you'll often hear people say, as they're describing it, it was like the end of the world. It was like the end of the world. Comments like that are true not only in Christian-based countries like we might assume the United States is, but you'll find that also in Muslim writings and in Hindu writings as well. There's a general sense in humanity that something cataclysmic is going to bring all of this to an end. It doesn't just have to do with the Bible. There are people who don't even know about the Bible or care about it who also have that same sense in them. And what's interesting is it's not only a sense that the world's coming to an end, but it's also a sense of responsibility somehow, accountability, to this being that is up there in the heavens. There's this, this sense of judgment that comes along with that. On 9-11, when that happened, there were a lot of comments like this too. I thought it was like the end of the world and things. And when those towers came down in New York City, they claimed that in the New York City vicinity, in the months following 9-11, uh, there was an increase of marriages. And they think the reason was because people suddenly realized, I shouldn't be just living with someone. There's something wrong about that. I need to get married. There was an increase in marriages. St. Paul here, in his speech at the Areopagus, is talking to an unbelieving crowd, people that had no knowledge of Christ and could care less about him. And yet, the themes of his little sermon to them um, he knows these are things that are going to resonate in their hearts. The existence of God, the fact that God has created all things, the sense of a, a judgment and that this being up there has something to do with my life and, and my conscience and things. And these are common issues to human beings and, and just the general fear about, about death or about this world coming to an end. And he talks about this day that's been appointed at the end of our text. He will judge the world in righteousness. Isn't it interesting that the members of the Holy Christian Church and, and her preachers, if you will, are called upon by God to be the watchmen of the world. We are called upon to be the ones that warn the world about this and to tell the world about this. Whether it's, whether it's through the office of the public ministry or whether it's just teaching our children or whether it's just talking to our friends and our neighbors. Now think about St. Paul for just a moment here. Just earlier in this very chapter, 17, St. Paul was attacked by a Jewish mob for preaching about Christ. He was dragged before officials and pretty much put on trial. And we know that, that he faced constant hardships and difficulties because of preaching the truth about this type of thing. And yet it just doesn't stop him. He still keeps doing it. He, he knows in this situation, as he's preaching to these people at the Areopagus, these were the kind of the place where the philosophers would assemble, a lot of the wise men. Sometimes there were trials that were held out in this part of Athens. And he knows that as he's speaking there, he's probably going to get some ridicule, some contempt. 
He might have people throw some things at him. There's a possibility he could get arrested. He certainly is not putting himself into, into good graces with people by preaching to them about this coming judge, Jesus Christ. And yet, he goes ahead. He still goes ahead and preaches. It's the very nature of Christ's flock on earth to want to invite and bring in many more to that same flock. And it's a natural thing that's built into Christians. It just comes with our faith. We all want to see the church of God in this world grow. We all want to see others come to a knowledge of their Savior. And that, that thing inside of all of us, that evangelistic longing that's inside of each person's heart, every Christian's heart, is because of the gospel itself. It's the very thing that caught you. It's the very thing that grabbed your heart and caused you to repent before God and, and cling to what Jesus has done for you by his death on the cross, paying for all of your sins, uh, looking, uh, looking to him for the perfect holy righteousness that covers you so you can go to heaven someday. That same gospel that grabbed your heart creates in you and me this, this desire to, to cause this church to grow and for others to, to come and learn about this same, same Savior. So even though, even though putting himself in this situation to preach all of this might have put Paul in some very difficult place, at the same time, he just couldn't stop himself. He just could not. And the, the church of God in this world, the, the believers in this world, we just can't keep silent. Sometimes we'll do it in a subtle way or a quiet way, but we just can't keep silent. So this warning about the coming judgment is also part of the love of God for his world. He wants people to, to come to the knowledge of Christ through repentance. You know, fishermen will sometimes, frequently I guess, hide their best fishing spots because they don't want other people to get that. If somebody stumbled upon a cave somewhere, an unknown cave that they found diamonds in the rocks, they, they might tell a few of their family members, but they're probably going to want to go mine that themselves. But that's not the way it is when it comes to the treasure of the gospel. The treasure of the gospel creates in us not a desire to keep it to ourselves. It does the opposite. It produces a flame inside of the hearts and souls of the believers that want other people to know about this so that they can be prepared for that great day of judgment that's coming before all of us. And... For us, it's comforting to know that the very one who will sit and be our judge will be your and my judge someday, still bears in his hands the marks of how he went and paid for the very sins that might make us afraid of judgment. All of them. He has paid for each and every one of them by those very wounds that he still bears in his hands. So the preaching of the gospel, I remember one of my seminary profs used to say, it is the most inclusive and the most exclusive doctrine that there is. It is the most inclusive in this, that just like Paul, we can go to any person we meet and tell them that the Son of God has shed his blood for them to pay for all of their sins. He didn't just do it for believers or Christians or good, righteous people. He did it for all sinners of all time. And so in that way, the gospel is the most inclusive doctrine you can get. You can go to anyone in the world at any time in world history and tell them about Jesus Christ who has come to pay for their sins. And at the same time, it is the most exclusive. Because as Jesus says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's only through faith in that one Savior, the one mediator between God and man, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Paul concludes his sermon here by saying, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, that is Christ. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The very resurrection that gives us hopefulness for that great day. God shows you and me tremendous patience when it comes to our sinfulness. Think how often you, just like me, we fall back into the same stupid sins over and over again. And there will come a time when God's time of grace will end. The window of his grace is open for us right now. And he calls to you even through my sinful mouth and invites your heart, invites you to come through that into his beautiful kingdom of grace where there's forgiveness and the hope of heaven. But do not mess around with God. Do not trifle with God and think that you have plenty of years in your life ahead to, to be concerned about this. Today is the day. Now is the time. His Holy Spirit, through the gospel, brings you through that window into the kingdom of his grace. But a day will come when that window will shut. We are so grateful to our gracious God that by his power in the gospel, he has brought us to a knowledge of our Savior. And as children in his kingdom, we stand before him holy and righteous, looking forward to this great day that will bring fear to the world and yet joy to the members of his church. Amen. Please rise as we join in our Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Go in his peace. Amen.